So you're here to get me out of here, are you? Okay. Tie my shoes. Here we go. Take it. Wrap the rabbit around the tree. Here you go. Tie him in a bow. So can we get something to eat after we get out of here? Tying his shoes. Tying my shoes. That's all I got to do. Simon Peter ties his shoes. Now here's what's interesting. This so angel has just walked past Roman guards into a locked cell. He could have put Simon Peter's shoes on him and slapped a Nike swoosh on the side just for fashion and tied him in a double bow to make sure they didn't come off. He did not need Simon Peter to tie his shoes. He could have done that for him. But I believe God was telling Simon Peter and us, I will not do for you what you should do for yourself, but I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself when you do what you can do. <laughs> I believe somebody today is going to get a formula that's going to say God will step in and do for you what you can't do, but he's going to wait for you to do whatever you can do. And when you do that, he's going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. My name is Adam Shaw, and this is The Restorationist. Well, the voice you just heard is a familiar one to many, and we're so glad to have him on the podcast today. LJ Harry, my friend, is our guest. LJ has served as an author. In fact, his devotional, Simplify, is available right now at Pentecostalpublishing.com. LJ Harry is also a podcaster, and you can catch his podcast, also named Simplify, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. It's an absolutely fantastic devotional podcast that I'm sure is going to bless your life. But today, LJ is not here to talk to us about any of those various ministries that he is a part of, the different hats that he wears. But today, he's, he's here to talk to us about a subject that is near and dear to both of our hearts. And that is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. LJ is a sought-after camp speaker and currently serves as pastor of Vernon Church in Mount Vernon, Ohio, where he preaches and he teaches weekly. So then any further ado, let's get right into our interview on Pentecostal apostolic preaching with my friend, LJ Harris. Well, hey, LJ, how you doing today? Hey, I'm good, Adam. Thanks for having me on the show. Man, it's my pleasure. And for those of you that, that, um, that don't know that listen to this podcast, LJ and I have been very, very good friends um, for, oh my goodness, I guess going on six years. Uh, you were yes. uh, the preacher at my very, very first youth camp as youth president. That no, was I did not realized. Okay. Th that was uh that was quite that was quite the youth camp. It was you and Jason <laughs> yeah, Jason Huckabee. We uh we don't need <laughs> that's not the point of this podcast. Um <laughs> but that that uh there were some there was uh, youth camps are crazy and you've you were a youth president um and worked in district youth ministry. Youth camps are always crazy, but this particular one yeah. that that was uh that was a that was one for the books. And it was at yeah, that moment we, <laughs> we became really good friends. But we're not here to swap yeah. camp stories. We're here to talk to, uh, talk to, I guess, the audience about something that's really, really near and dear to our hearts, and that is the preaching of the gospel. And um, yeah. so 
I wonder if we could just kind of jump into the conversation by you telling us about your journey into preaching. What was your, you know, your call into ministry like, and um, what have you done in ministry uh, leading up to this moment now? Okay. My call to preach came at a youth camp, interestingly enough, back in 1996, where the Ken Gurley was preaching a message called The Dream Peddler. And during that message, I felt God reach out, call out to me to surrender my future. I, I wanted to be a Spanish teacher because I love the Spanish language, but I felt like God asked me to surrender my future to him to do what he was asking me to do. So from there, I applied for Bible college. I attended and graduated from Gateway College. And my wife and I served as youth pastor in Longwood, Florida, near Orlando for five years. And then I have been back in my home church in pastoral ministry now for 13 years and serving as senior pastor for three years. So it's been, it has been an exciting and scary journey and faith-filled in preaching the gospel. Now, speaking of preaching the gospel, one of the very first questions and uh, that I've been asking people that I interview, and I preface this by saying I completely understand this is going to be an uncomfortable question because, you know, those of us that preach, we're very used to talking about Jesus to people. But one of the big things is, you know, we're, we're not supposed to talk about ourselves at all. We're, you know, he must uh, increase, I must decrease. And, uh, but for this question, I, I kind of want to, I want you to think a little bit about your approach and style to preaching because one of the beauties of the apostolic movement is that we are not monolithic in our styles and our approaches to proclaiming the gospel. Everybody is so different, and I think that's awesome. So if there was a way that you could define your approach or your style to preaching, and again, I know this is a difficult thing to kind of wrap your brain around when you're not used to having that kind of conversation. Oh, this is how I preach, you know, but I want you to, if you could explain that to us, because I think it's really important that young preachers and young communicators of the gospel, uh, they know who they are. And I think hearing people that are experienced, that they have seen and heard in, in uh, times past, they're able to talk about who they are. And that's a good thing because knowing how God has gifted us, I think is a really important part of being secure in your calling. So if there was a way that you could define or approach your style to preaching, how would you define or explain it? I want to be a storyteller. I love narrative preaching. I love to hear it. I love to do it. And I also realize by being a storyteller, I probably will not be the fist-pumping, red-faced preacher that I thought I wanted to be when I was a teenager. I have settled into this role, and by settled, I don't mean that I have taken a lesser role than what God has designed me, but settled as far as I have settled it in my heart that this is how God made me. There was a preacher many years ago who was preaching all around, and he taught me just by his example and by his teaching to be comfortable in my own skin. And when I was at Gateway, somebody came up to me one time and said, I feel like God has called you to be a teacher. And that was an insult to me because I wanted to be that screamer, this pumping preacher that I kept seeing at youth camps and youth convention. But that's not my personality and that's not my style. So I have embraced 
this role as a storyteller. And in fact, after a service, if somebody comes up to me and says, I love the way you told that story, that's a huge compliment to me. Rather than if they came up and said, man, you just, you just flat preached tonight. So my bar is set differently perhaps than others in that I want to communicate through story, just like Jesus did with parables and such. So that I would describe it and explain it in that way. I love that. I love that. Uh, I've, I've heard you preach before, and your ability to tell stories is second to none. It really is. Like, I'm in awe every time you tell a story. And I like, I like that you understand that that's the role, that's the gifting that God has put inside you. And, and I know we're going to jump into another question but uh, in just a second, but one of the things that I've always been so gripped by is, um, you know, going through Bible college and, um, and especially in my very early 20s, is how many of my peers and how much I myself, I would look at people and I would feel like I have to be that in order to be used by God. That if I'm going to see the hand of God revealed in my life, then there is a particular mold that I have to, that I've got to fall into. And one of the most incredible and liberating things that I ever discovered was that I'm to be me and I, I can't tell stories like you. And um, I am that red faced, sweaty guy. Yes, you are. <laughs> and like, I remember, I remember there were times where I was, I would go to events and, and they would have me preach and they're like, you know, we really want this to be, you know, a kind of a Ted talk kind of vibe. And, and you just kind of get there and teach and here's the stool for you to sit on. And I have ADHD and I'm super intense. Mm -hmm. And like a number, and I'm also a plus sized uh, individual. And so number one, the stool never, uh, never was comfortable for me. And then two, I'm so fidgety that I'm like, I, like it would be so in my head. I'm like, this is who I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be this person right now. And I'm like, I can't do it. I'm a passionate person. I got to get up, walk around pace. And then when I finally, you know, when I finally got comfortable with that, it was so liberating. And I think that hearing you um, right now has helped so many young preachers that are out there that are storytellers and they're great at putting together narrative and they love to yeah. exposit the text, which we'll probably talk about in a second. They love to break down that yeah. truth, but they feel like, oh, wow, if I'm not, you know, this person or that person, then, you know, I better change myself instead of saying, you know what, this is who God wants me to be. This is a role I can play in the kingdom. And I don't have to be anybody else. I just have to be the man of God or woman of God that God has called me to be. And exactly. uh, anyway, one of the things that, that um, you're known for, as I already mentioned, is your stories. Your stories are incredible and they're amazing. Um, how do you go about finding or adapting illustrations? Your illustrations are incredible. Do, do many of them you write yourself? Besides the, the biblical stories, and we'll talk about those in a second, but, but your, your opening illustrations or the stories that you tell that aren't about your life, do you, do you draft those yourself or do you find them other places? And how do you go about adapting those into your message? Yes. Obviously, the ones that are personal, which most of the illustrations I use by way of introduction are typically personal, just because I have learned those those are the best at tearing down walls between the audience and me as a preacher, especially if it's a youth camp or somewhere where the audience is unfamiliar with me, rather than me just getting up there and then 
seeing me as a preacher. I was telling a story about how I spilled a box full of Cheerios. Now I'm no longer just a preacher. I'm a person. I'm a person who has to eat breakfast. I'm a person who can't tie his shoes when he's nine years old, that kind of thing. So those stories help to break down some of those walls and barriers. But if they're not my personal illustrations, then if they're especially biblical illustrations, then usually I will try to write them in such a way that is true to the biblical text, but at the same time puts the listener right there with a front row seat to see what is happening, whether Old Testament, New Testament, but to try to get them in the very passage that I'm reading. One of the things that, and this is partly me having a low attention span, whenever I hear somebody open up a sermon with, in our text tonight we read, I I have been known when I was younger to just kind of tune that out because I thought that the most interesting part of the message, the illustration is supposed to catch my attention. And all of a sudden now we're back 2,000 years ago to something I probably don't really understand or can't relate to. I'm going to have a hard time relating to this message. So I, I try to, even if it's from the biblical text, tell it in such a way that it comes alive. But as far as canned illustrations or book illustrations, I used to use them when I first started preaching all the time. I had this encyclopedia of 7,700 illustrations that I used every message. But then they started to get stale, and they weren't, they weren't mine. They were somebody else's. They were their stories. They were their experiences. So I started to try to come up with my own or just tell stories from my own life that would be more alive. I love that. And I want to circle back to the, the biblical stories that you tell just for a moment. And um, if you could help us figure out the mechanics of that, because I've, I've heard you preach many times. We've had the pleasure of being linked up together uh, for several events. And one of the things that I love about your ability to tell and retell stories in the Bible is that you're able to describe them as they are told. You're telling them as they are in Scripture, but you're immersing people uh, in that story, like for example, in the opening illustration uh, or uh, of you preaching at the beginning of the podcast, you're talking about Peter tying his shoes, and you're talking about the the you know the rabbit loop, and you go around the tree, and the angel could have put the Nike swoosh, like it's already in my head, right? You know, it could have thrown the Nike. <laughs> now, none of that, um, you know, uh, none of that uh, sacrifices the integrity of the biblical story, but you're immersing that person's mind in the act of putting on their shoes, something that everyone does every day. And they're like right there. It's like you're watching him in that story as it unfolds. And so just by way of practical tips for people that want to become better at telling the stories of scripture, what's your, what's your process? What do you do to kind of get people inside, get people inside that story? What's, what's your approach to crafting that narrative. I, I want to build a bridge from that biblical text to our world. So obviously they didn't have Nike back then, but like you said, without sacrificing the integrity of, of the story and the truth of the story, then I try to, by saying Nike swoosh, now the, the listener or the reader automatically sees this Nike swoosh on the side of the shoe. And by saying the whole rabbit thing, they think back to when they were a kid and they learned how to tie their shoes and that kind of thing. So anything to build a bridge or to make the, the passage come alive, to more colorful. I also realize there's a way to overdo that 
to where every other word is an adjective and it just sounds like it's forced. So it has to be alive, but it also has to be relatable and it has to be, there's a balance between just everything being so colorful that it's sensory overload or being so drab that it's boring and it's hard to keep attention. So one of the ways I learned how to, to write and tell story is my favorite author is Max Lucado. He is a master storyteller. And I've read, I have and have read all of his books. And in fact, I'm such a Lucado fan that I have a spreadsheet that chronicles where he tells a biblical story. So if I'm reading the story of, or preaching from the story of the woman at the well, and I want to know how did Max tell that story or how did he introduce it or how did he open that up? Then I pull up the spreadsheet and I type in woman at the well, or I typed in John four. And then I will see that his telling of that story was in this book and this chapter and that book and that chapter and that book and that chapter. And that has helped me to hone this craft that I'm trying to own because he is, in my opinion, the Picasso of storytellers. One of the things that I often face when I'm putting together a message or when I'm approaching preaching is continuing to stay fresh and inspired. Now, we all know the role of prayer and reading the scripture and fasting, and those aren't things preachers do. Those are things Christians do. Those are things that followers of Jesus do. And, uh, and, and so... But when it comes to as a you know as a minister of the gospel, as a preacher of the gospel, there is this internal pressure to continue to stay fresh and be inspired by something. And so my my question, my next question is, what inspires you, and how do you stay fresh? That's a great question. My my walk with the Lord is where I get most of my sermon ideas. That's just from my prayer time, God dealing with me about certain things. And as I prepare for the year, the Lord will lay some series on my heart. I've been preaching through in Mount Vernon, my home church here, I've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount back in the early winter and spring of this year. And so, of course, that just kind of keeps me walking through a particular passage or a particular book. But if I'm preaching a la carte, just one topic after another, and just that, that walk with God, what he's dealing with me concerning. But then, like I mentioned, those books I'm reading, like the Lucado book, his, his books are just so interesting and so colorful that they'll inspire some ideas or some thoughts to flesh out and study. And I do have a Word document called Sermon Ideas that I just type in if the Lord deals with me about something or I read something and it sparks a thought. Then I type that, either the passage scripture and the title or just a quick statement about that and I come back to it later or I just go back through that every once in a while and see what have I not preached but God has been dealing with me and what can I study and prepare and flesh out into an actual message to preach let's let's talk about that fleshing out process so um, you get that spark of inspiration that you know the thought comes to you in prayer or through devotional reading um, or you've written something down in the past, and um, your mind gets redirected by God to go back and take a look at that that thought that you've kind of typed out in that sermon idea document. 
what is LJ Harry's process of putting together um, the sermon, putting together the message? How does that message all come together? Once you got that idea, how does that idea translate into a sermon? What are the practical next steps that you take when you begin to take that idea and put it into a, you know, a finished, a finished product that you'll then deliver? I use a model I learned at Gateway College called Hook, Book, Look, Took. Easy to remember. Hook is the introduction or the illustration, which people smarter than I am have said, you really just have precious few seconds to catch somebody's attention as you open up a message, especially in a a setting where you've been preaching before and people are used to you and, and there's not a lot of newness there. So hook is that illustration, that opening. Book is the biblical text or the the passage from which you're you're preaching. So I try to, for example, in this story about Peter being in prison in Acts chapter 12, which is the story from which I preach, tie your shoes. I open up with an illustration about me being unable to stay awake anywhere during my first few years of college. And I got that inspiration, if you will, from Peter being asleep in prison on the night before he's about to be executed. And my whole point is, and I could sleep anywhere, anytime, any day when I first went to college, I just could not stay awake, fell asleep in chapel, in church, on the road, driving, just bad. But I don't think I could have slept while Peter slept. He's about to be executed and he's asleep on martyrdom eve. So I build the bridge from the hook, which is the introduction, to the book, just like I could fall asleep anywhere, Peter could fall asleep anywhere. So now I'm into the book part of it, and I tell the story of Simon Peter. And of course, whenever you're telling a story, a biblical story, especially to an audience who may not be biblically literate, I I cannot afford to just say, you know the story, how Simon Peter, because many people don't know the story. So I have to explain who Simon Peter is, why is he in prison, what is the import of him being in prison, if he's executed, what does that mean to the church? All of that, all of that plays into the whole book process. Then, from there, once I've told that story, I do my best to apply it. That's the look. So what does it mean that I need to tie my shoes? That means I need to do what I can do, since the angel told Simon Peter to tie his shoes. That means I need to do what I can do before God steps in to do what I I cannot. So that opens up the whole door to, what does that mean? That means I need to pray, God will answer. I need to repent, God will forgive. I need to open my heart, God will fill it. I need to fast, God will draw me closer to him. So those are the applications part of that whole message. This is what it means to me today. And then the took part, the last part, is the altar call. What do I take away from this? What do I do with my life as a result of what I've just heard? So that real simple hook, book, look, took. And in that whole process, I try, unless there's just some overwhelming need to go outside of that one story, I try to stay within that one story. I do that for two reasons. I do that for simplicity and, frankly, job security. (laughs) If I preached everything from Genesis to Revelation every Sunday— I'm out of a job pretty fast. <laughs> but the primary reason is simplicity. If I'm preaching to a, even a biblically mature audience, 
there's only so many stories, so many illustrations, so many allusions to Scripture that you can bring into one message without beginning to confuse your audience with which story goes where. I was in a, in a service one time with a preacher I love and respect, respect and admire very much introduced 14, I counted them, 14 biblical stories in wow. one message. By the end of that message, I had Nebuchadnezzar on the ark parting the water that turned to wine. It was just, it was all confusing, and I'm a biblical studies graduate. So my advice, especially to young men and young women when beginning to preach, is to keep it simple. We are dealing with a postmodern culture. We're dealing with a biblically illiterate culture. So to casually throw out the phrase, you all know the story of how Belshazzar drank from the cups in the temple. Well, they don't know the story. They don't know who Belshazzar was, where the temple was, what cups were in the temple, why is he drinking? So you have to lay background for all of those. And before you, before too long, it gets very long and very complicated. So that's my overall process in putting a message together. I love that. I love the, the concept of simplicity. I, I'm, I'm with you on the single use of a story, um, the parking in um, in a text, and expositing kind of that text. And obviously, we refer to what the rest of Scripture says, but uh, for simplicity's sake, um, I think that's that's such a great, great thing to follow. And it, it, I remember reading a book by Chip and Dan Heath called, uh, called Made to Stick, and they talked about the curse of knowledge. And we've known for so long, we forget what it's like not to know. And that, I think that piece of advice on, on your approach of sticking in one story and fleshing out that passage so it does not confuse people. Because there's a good chance that in most of the environments that anyone will speak on most of the time, um, they, they probably know more about the biblical stories than most of the individuals in that room save a faithful few. And, um, right. and, and increasing biblical literacy through practicing the discipline of simplicity, I think, is, is really, really awesome. Um, I know you're a study guy because uh, we often will talk about our midweeks together that we, we do at our various churches. Yes. So, yes. Um, and the resources yes. we, you know, we use and, and the authors we lean on. What resources, when you're preparing a sermon, what resources do you use when you study? Okay, I don't use a lot of resources for a sermon, per se. Primarily, if I'm preaching, again, if I'm preaching, I'm going straight from the biblical text, and I'm preaching through that story, walking through that story. I'll use the commentaries that have come with PC Study Bible that explain historical context or explain customs and things of that nature. But I don't use a whole lot of extra biblical resources when I'm studying to preach a kind of an a la carte narrative message. However, if I'm preaching through a series, for example, the Sermon on the Mount I've been preaching in Mount Vernon, I use about four or five different books that are written simply on the Sermon on the Mount. Because I want to know when Jesus says, if, if you have ought against, or if your brother has ought against you, leave your gift at the altar. What does that mean in their day? Not just in my day, but what does that mean in their day? What implications were there and all of that kind of thing and, and learning those culture and those customs that I didn't, I'm not privy to. When I'm teaching on midweek, like you had mentioned, we talk a lot about our midweeks. I just finished a 
walk through the book of First Corinthians on my Wednesday nights. And again, I used about four or five different books written on just the book of First Corinthians. But if I'm preaching all a cart, I don't have the budget or the time to buy a book just on the woman at the well or just on Acts 12 and Peter's deliverance from prison. So I do rely primarily on that biblical story. And then I will, if I want to see how did Lucado explain that or how did he try to bridge the, the gap between their generation and ours, I will open up that spreadsheet, look at which book he told that story in and see if there's an inspirational way that I can tell it in a better way than I have told it. Those are the resources I, I use. I'm not a big commentary guy, but I do like to read the books that are written specifically for that particular passage. Now let's talk practical kind of mechanics for a second. Um, when you're putting together your sermon notes, um, what is your process for that? Do you handwrite them out? Do you type them out? Are you a script every word kind of guy? Or do you jot down point forms uh, or bulleted points of what you're going to talk about? How, what is your approach and how do you like to prepare your sermon notes that you'll then take to the pulpit to, to preach to the crowd? I am manuscript and I type it out word for word. I, I labor, honestly, over the sentences. I labor over how does the word how does the sentence flow? How does it feel? How does it sound? Is it too much alliteration? Are there too many adjectives? Is it too dry? Is it too colorful? So I, I labor over that. Could I have said this any better? I do a lot of, of working with those words and trying to make them fit and sound and feel the best. In fact, about two Sunday nights ago, I got to church and I was playing guitar and I forgot my tablet, or actually I was playing drums and forgot my tablet. It was in the booth. So I, I got the booth's attention Say, hey, guys, my tablet's up there. So the gentleman from the booth brings it up, sets it on the pulpit for me. And when I opened it up to open Dropbox to get the message I was to preach, that message was not there. Oh, I no. had worked all afternoon on it. It was not there. Now, for most guys who could preach from a napkin, that's no big deal. For me, that was life-changing. I, I didn't know what to do. And I stumbled around and I, I hem-hawed for a little bit and tried to figure out how to say it. And it was, quite frankly, took me quite a while to get through that. But I am manuscript and maybe even sometimes to a fault. But I did get through that Sunday night, but it was terrifying, even though I've been preaching now for, well, since 97 so preaching now for 22 years, that was terrifying not to have even one one note from that message. My heart grew cold when I heard that story. I was just, it stopped because <laughs> we've, we've, so swapped, we've swapped notes back and forth. We are both um, manuscript people. Um, yes. And uh, just, I like to write every word. I'm not one of those guys that likes to go, tell them that story about that time you met the guy at Tim Hortons. Right. And then... You know, yes. because I probably will preach it again. Now, there are some people that right. they get they get fresh manna every day, um, and I aspire to that yeah. as well. But there are Sabbath times when I need to microwave some <laughs> some manna and uh, reheat it. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, in the words of T.F. Tenney, if it wasn't good enough to preach, 
twice, or if it's not, yeah, if it's not good enough to preach twice, it probably wasn't good enough to preach once. So that's why I'm always like, well, if this is good enough to preach again, which we'll see at the end, I might as well write the story about that guy that I met at that time at Tim Hortons. And that way um, I can just, it's right there. It's right in the notes. Um, um, Exactly. Now, one thing that I, I wanted you to kind of speak to, if you could, and that is most of the individuals listening that have heard you preach before, um, they've been at events like youth camps, youth conventions, uh, et cetera. And many young preachers or, or even experienced preachers that aspire to improve, they want to get better. Our example is what we see at large events. Um, and, and that becomes kind of the bar that we set for ourselves. So it's what we see at camp, what we see at convention or what we see at a big conference. Um, but sometimes those events are not necessarily representative of the local church. Um, but every minister and every pastor and preacher is different. And so my question for you is, uh, do you preach any different at a large special event like a camp or a convention different? Do you preach differently there than you do when you're in Mount Vernon? I really don't. Okay, cool. I, my 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 delivery style is very similar, but now I, unless the Lord tells me to, I probably won't preach the third beatitude on the second day service at a youth camp because I had to build up the third beatitude based on the second and the second based on the first. So... Obviously, I'm not going to do any series, or at least any serious series preaching, out outside of what I'm doing in my home church. So a lot of some of those pastoral type messages that deal with areas of of church, either discipleship or areas of pastoral care, I won't preach those types of things outside of the local church. But as far as style and delivery, I'm pretty similar at home. Now, on Wednesday nights, I'm totally different. On Wednesday nights, I'm, I'm wearing a cardigan and a bow tie tonight to teach Bible study. And I'll teach, I'll go straight through one chapter of a book in the Bible, and we'll go verse by verse and look at it and, and study it. So that's teaching. But when it comes to preaching, I'm pretty similar. The only thing that you're saying would change or modify is the content, that there are certain things, certain types of content that just are not, they're not kind of, they're not your role. You're not wearing that hat uh, when you step in behind the pulpit. That's what I said. Okay, cool. Yes, I'm pastor. Anybody, I'm there to encourage or edify or even sometimes possibly allow the Lord to convict, but I'm not there to pastor or to shepherd. So yes, yeah, you're exactly right. I think that's a great piece of advice, especially to young uh, aspiring preachers of the gospel that are, are listening to this podcast, that um, there are certain things, certain areas that it's just a good idea to leave those <laughs> to pastor. And if you're not pastor um, or if, you know, you haven't been released by uh, your pastor to preach that in your church, it probably would be a good idea to not bring that into the rally um, or bring that into, you know, uh, wherever you've had the honor and privilege to be able to, to be able to speak. Um, I think that's a, that's great advice. You know, you don't change who you are, but you do become cognizant of the kinds of application that you can make in a setting where you're not the shepherd. 
I think that's uh, that's an excellent excellent set of advice there. Uh, one, one. Oh, I'm sorry. Go, sorry. Go ahead. Pastor. I'll let you. Looks like we. Oh, I'm sorry about that. When I was a youth pastor, there was a young man who he was wanting to preach, and so we had a youth day coming up, and I asked him, I was like, "What's the Lord dealing with you about?" Now, Adam, there are 66 books in the Bible. There are 30,000 plus verses. And he said, I feel like God's telling me to preach about circumcision. Which I replied, I don't think so. <laughs> that's all the topics and all the stories mm. you could preach. I don't think that that's not going to be the one you're preaching on. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so, God didn't speak yes, today. There is, there, there is a... There is a pastor and a shepherd who covers those subjects, but when you're preaching, you're you're exactly right. When you're preaching out or or asked to preach even at home, stay with the the topics that are within your lane that God has called you to run. Now, one of the things that now I don't get any demographics uh, informations from demographic information, I should say, from um, Apple Podcasts, uh, but I do from Spotify. And the majority of our Spotify listening crowd is um, under the age of 35. In fact, a large majority are between the ages of 17 and 24 uh, years old. And um, so there is a whole new crop of uh, young millennials and the first wave of Gen Zers that are now entering into leadership and entering into ministry. And one of the things that has been a big part of your preaching ministry is preaching and teaching to young people. And many of the people that you have pre, uh, preached to and ministered to at camps and conventions, they are now getting ready to take their first steps uh, into their preaching ministry and they're developing their preaching ministry. And as somebody that has uh, traveled all around the world, um, speaking to young people, uh, what do you admire the most about the new generation of leaders and preachers that is coming out of the apostolic movement? So what do you admire the most about the new generation of preachers that is now coming into their time of, of ministry? I admire most that they are preaching content and not just for hype. I remember there was a day when it seemed like young guys, whenever you would give them, and ladies, I'm sorry, when you would give them a microphone, it was all about, I used to joke about this in Bible college, everything was about praise and stomp on the devil. If you could get up at a youth rally and just scream about praise and stomp on the devil, kids would respond. They would jump, dance, do chin-ups on the chandeliers. But I'm seeing now this younger generation is hungry for more than just let's rah-rah but they're hungry for something that will change them from the inside out and will stay with them when they leave that service or those services. I, I am very inspired by and admire this younger generation's hunger for true content from the Word of God more than just hype. Now, what do you think we need to work on? If you're about to, that, that same generation that you just said, I love that you aspire for content. I love that you, you want to deliver something of meaning. What, what do you think, if you were to speak to that same group of people, what do they need to work on? What is, what is their Achilles heel? What's the one thing they've got to stop doing or stop thinking about um, 
if they're going to become all that God wants them to be. Okay. This is similar to what we talked about early on, is they need to work on making the story, the passage, come alive. More than just opening up. It's very easy to open up a message with, in our text we read, or or even worse yet, reading, say, seven verses from one story, and then opening up in a completely different story. So now you've got two stories and you confuse the audience, whatever. I feel like the most important part is making it colorful, making it come alive, making it relevant to our audience from the biblical text, and remembering that at one point they were a teenager listening to a preacher, and that preacher, they wanted that preacher to be interesting so that they have to keep in mind that now they are on the other side of the pulpit, and that teenager or that child who's listening wants them to be interesting and wants them to have done quite a bit of work before they get to the pulpit to make sure that text comes alive and it's not just a dead 2,000-year-old story. So that's that would be my, my advice, work on making it come alive. I love that. I, I believe that's that's so very helpful, that mix of capture the attention, capture the mind. There's so many things competing for our attention. Um, they've studied attention spans, and the attention span from generation to generation is dropping dramatically. And I think it's incumbent upon preachers of the gospel, especially because we're apostolic, we're inviting people to experience the resurrect, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that at the end, yeah. we're not just going to you know, bow our heads and slap our neighbor high five and go into the parking lot with our free coffee and donut right. in hand. We're, in, we're inviting them to come to the front and give the contents of their soul to, to the Lord and capturing yeah. the mind, but capturing the mind with the text with the with the word of god i think is is so so important that it's not just i'm reading a text and then you know like you said going into a million different stories uh you know or never referring back to it but i'm trying to take yes. a group of people and say this book matters more than any other book here let's take my hand and let's 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 dive into that world together and and break it apart and see it how it can how it can impact our life um, thank you for yes. that. That was that was so 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 good. Uh, well, we really appreciate your time, LJ. Um, I thank know you, you got Bible thank study you. tonight, and I know you got things a lot of things on your plate. But I really appreciate um, your friendship, and I appreciate your um, your time that you've given to those that would listen to this podcast. And so, one of the things we're doing with all the preachers that we interview is uh, something I call the last word. And that is, um, I want to give you the last word. Um, give us one last parting challenge uh, to whoever listens. Um, and it can be about anything you want. It can be about preaching. It can be about something that's been on your heart, about um, you know, a fellow pastors, leaders, younger generation of leaders, anything you want to say that kind of is on your heart. Give us the last word. Okay. My advice is walk with Jesus. He will take care of all the sermon ideas and thoughts and we'll take care of all the decisions and this college that career this calling that girl that guy all of that if you just walk with jesus he'll order your steps 
I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I know that I've grown and I've learned uh, from how LJ approaches the art of preaching the gospel uh, to people. And so if you would love to hear the sermon that you heard about two minutes of at the beginning of this episode, you can go to vernonchurch.org slash sermons and look for the sermon called Tie Your Shoes. It's from March 17th, 2019. Again, it's Tie Your Shoes. March 17th, 2019. While you're at it, why don't you search for Simplify, LJ's podcast, and subscribe that as well. Or you can also order his book from PentecostalPublishing.com. And while you're at it, since you're in such a sharing and subscribing mood, if you have not subscribed to this podcast yet, why don't you hit that subscribe button? And if you could, leave me a review. That will help push the this Restorations podcast kind of up and out there uh, on the internet and help people come across apostolic content well thank you again so much for listening it's an honor to be able to share this time with you every couple of weeks and i appreciate all of you that message and uh, message me and let me know uh your engagement and your thoughts on the podcast i welcome any and all feedback at all times so until next time you have a great day and god bless